Welcome to Unexpected Points. I am your host, Kevin Cole. I am joined today by second-time guest, PFF underscore Brad. Brad Spielberg, how are you doing, my man? Doing well after a busy week in Cincinnati for the beginning of free agency uh, back in New York, but doing well. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say, this is your time. This is your time to shine. This is... This is really when the cool guys take over, the the, the cap analysts. You know, we were tired of hearing about uh, schemes, run fits, coverage, all that stuff, draft analysts. We want to know about the cap. That's the exciting stuff. That's that's what gets that's what gets everyone <laughs> tuned in and turned on when it comes to the NFL. So you are the man for that. So I appreciate you joining me. Um, since this is really only two weeks of the year, I think you really have to work, right? That's actually right. Yeah, my, my contractual <laughs> obligations are just the month of March. It's really nice. Um, like you said, everyone likes to hear from the accountant. Everyone says the accountant is the the coolest guy at every company. So so that's that's where we're at. Yeah, yeah. Well, for NFL franchises this year, they get a little bit of work than usual. You know, we're getting these these void years that are being thrown in all over the place. We're getting tricks to get underneath this uh, this depressed salary cap in 2021. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about some other things. Um, I'm going to hit with some of the the usual points when it comes to free agency as far as who we thought were the teams that did well, maybe the individual contracts, uh, position groups and things like that I think is also interesting. And before we before free agency started, you were integral for PFF uh, tracking, you know, predicting what you thought was going to happen for a lot of these different contracts. So maybe we can talk about what went the way you thought it was going to go, whether it's from a positional standpoint or a player standpoint, and what didn't go the way you thought it was going to go, and what implications these can have going forward. So we're going to hit all those things today. Yeah, no, we got a lot to cover, and yeah, a lot to review as everything unfolded. Um, some expected, some very unexpected. Um, shout out unexpected points. So yeah, it, it was. Yeah, it was. We covered the full gamut for sure. Okay, cool, cool. So let's let's get into some of the stuff that happened here. Um, you know, I have this improvement index where it goes through all the different teams. It tries to quantify um, how much a team's projection for wins is going to go up or down based upon the wins above replacement metric that we have for different players. So it's you know it's not necessarily grading these teams as far as how well they did on on the money they spent, but just looking purely as whether they're going to go up or down or not. And the Patriots are at the top. And I think the Patriots have been a big topic of conversation. A lot of this happened last week when they brought in Nelson Aguilar. They brought in Kendrick Bourne. They brought in the two tight ends, Johnny Smith. And um, and uh, why is the name escaping me now? Oh, um, Hunter Henry. Yeah. Hunter Henry. They brought him in. They, they You know, it, it, in addition to Dante Hightower coming back and others coming back. So, the, the, there's a difference of opinion here. I've seen some people even pointing out the fact that I have them at the top of the improvement index as they rework this roster, yet we have our fearless leader, PFF underscore George, George Shahuri, uh saying that they went shopping at Target. And now, no, 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 no offense to Target, right? <laughs> I, I think say, it was, was some offense to Target, quite honestly, in that statement. But no disrespect from this pod. This is a Target-friendly podcast here. So I, I, I don't. I think that would be maybe a little bit unfair because it wasn't like they were doing the the. Um, I mean, if they went to Target, then the Texans went to the dollar store, or or, <laughs> or even beyond. They went to like the the uh, the pawn shop or something, which is where the Texans went. And we'll talk about that later. But what do you think about the Patriots' strategy? And would you say that? It was it was strange in that they weren't going after some higher end players. Or do you like this building with a breadth of players? So you know, first to the point, like you said, I think 
folks were confused by how can you know some analysts say they're they're not doing a good job in free agency, and, and you can also say they have the the number one improvement index. And I'd say, look, you can if I have a car that needs you know upgrades to it, and I spend fifty thousand dollars on upgrades that could have cost me twenty five thousand dollars, I'm still going to have a very improved vehicle. It's going to go faster. Right. It's going to run smoother. It doesn't mean I spent my money well. And so that's my perspective as well. Uh, I'm not going to no strays being caught by Tartaray from me. Um, but yeah, they, uh, they, they, they overspent. I mean, for 20 years, we've known them as a club that doesn't do this. They wait for the later waves of free agency. They let things play out and then they kind of pick their spots. And look, they have made some big signings like Stefan Gilmore. They made, uh, I think at the time, one of the highest paid cornerbacks at, at the time, you know, in the moment, um, obviously he got surpassed shortly thereafter, but so they're not afraid to spend, but they, they address kind of pricey positions with flashy names you know, the Nelson Aguilar deal obviously sticks out, um, you know, two years, 22 million, you know, which is, you know, 11 million per year. Will Fuller signed a one-year flyer for 10.5. So like more than Will Fuller, who's an infinitely superior player, even if you consider the, you know, the suspension and all of that. Um, and then, yeah, you make two guys, the co-highest, third highest paid tight ends. Johnny Smith has 400 receiving yards in each of the last two seasons. He gets more fully guaranteed money than George Kittle got in his extension. Um, Hunter Henry, I think, is a guy that everyone agrees is a good player, but probably trending in the wrong direction. He's not old or anything, but has the ACL tear, you know, just has kind of lost a step, isn't really a dynamic transformational player. Um, you know, everyone's saying, oh, well, they have a lot of success with tight ends. Look at Gronk. Well, yeah, Gronk is a generational talent, is arguably the best tight end to ever play. Like, they're not they're not getting a Gronk in Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. So, I like both of those players. I mean, I like Nelson Aguilar too, but the Raiders who have had a, a rough off season, they did what the Patriots normally do. Whereas John Brown gets cut by the bills. They signed John Brown, a, a great deep threat for about 3.75 million on a one-year deal. No, no factor in the compensatory picks and they gain, you know, they're not going to get it, but, but Nelson Aguilar signs a big deal elsewhere. Like that's what we've been accustomed to the Patriots doing. So for them to go out, spend big on Judon, you know, they, they drafted edge rush last year. They drafted tight ends last year. They now go ahead and sign Judon, sign Kyle Van Noy, sign a bunch of other defensive linemen, you know, sign two huge tight end contracts. Like they're just tracing poor, ch- chasing poor decisions in the past, um, kind of by overspending, which is not what they're, they're, they're normally going to do. Yeah. I mean, the, the word that was thrown around and was questioned whether or not it was appropriate was desperation. So were the Patriots desperate. And I think by their actions, I mean, it's not a binary thing, right? You're not like hundred percent desperate or zero percent desperate, but I think what they typified in past free agent cycles is a willingness a to let their own players walk who they didn't feel were strategic signings that they could, they could have. So again, that's something we don't see from a lot of teams. And we'll talk about some of that later with team run it back seems to be a pretty popular philosophy here for the guys who are near the top. So they've been willing to do that more so than other teams, other than maybe like the Ravens have also been pretty willing to, to do that in the past. And they made a lot of these moves right up front. And like you're saying, it seems like they had particular players in mind because in there's a lot of wide receivers just in the NFL period, right? A lot of them that are out there. And for the fact that they made these moves so quickly to grab a couple rather than sitting back in the, you know, in, in the, the catbird seat and say, we're going we're gonna to take who, who falls to us and the, the right one that we want, at the same time risking maybe not getting 
a, one that we want. They weren't willing to have that. It didn't seem like they were willing to have that second part of the equation. Like in order to make a really – like I say, in any negotiation, you have to be willing to walk away in order to get a really great negotiation. And they did not seem like they were willing to walk away when it came to these negotiations. Yeah, I think another one that flew under the radar that sticks out to me even is look at Devon Godshaw, you know, interior defensive lineman um, from Miami who barely played last year, was hurt, played under 200 snaps for the season, um, and even still has never particularly graded all that well with us, um, had a 57 grade in 2020. Uh, but even looking at 2019, when he did play, you know, almost a full season or a full season, 64 overall grade. So you get him for two years, 15 million. And then a couple days later, the Vikings get Dalvin Tomlinson, who was one of our highest rated defensive linemen in, in all of free agency. Um, if you look specifically at the nose tackle, kind of run stuffing interior position was the number one guy. He signs for two years, 21 million. So, I mean, barely more money. He had stronger guarantees and all that, of course, matters. But um, but yeah, like they, they, they were quick to market. And I think they did maybe not, maybe if desperation's not your word, more just panic, more just unwilling to miss on a guy. Um, yeah. And that's, you know, that's frankly the philosophy they've avoided for, for 20 years, which which is why I personally have lauded them forever and said, you know, it's not just Tom Brady. It's also their patience and their they don't they don't chase average. They don't chase. You know, like you said, if the price is too high, they walk away. I don't think they were doing much of that. You know, this offseason. Yeah, it's, it's strange because I think that the roster was bad, right? The roster was very bad last year, um, yet they ended up finishing 7-9, and nine, so around the middle of the league. I mean, you know, everything is – you don't want to just talk about tank. Everything is tanking, tank, tank, tank. But last year kind of was a year they could have maybe tank. Like maybe if they don't bring in Cam Newton, maybe if they don't press in, in a couple of areas there – um, the thing was going into the summer, even before they knew what was going on with their contract situation, they were being forecast by, uh, you know, the, the betting odds as being almost a co-equal to the Buffalo Bills to win that division. Now, that's not the case this year, um, but last year really was a down year for them. And now that they've done that, now that they're in here, they seem to be going somewhat, you know, not all in, but pretty far in these next cup for these next couple of years. It's really going to be another cycle, I think, before they're in that position to maybe really get a quarterback pick and see about starting over with a 68-year-old head coach. So, yeah, I don't know. It really just depends on what the ceiling is for this team, and I don't see this as a championship ceiling. No, I mean, look, and you can't just cater your moves around your division and stuff like that, but they went 7-9. They did have some good games. Um, they, they took the Chiefs down to the wire, and they didn't even have Cam Newton for that game. But they also had kind of two free wins against the Jets, Actually, one of those games they, they barely pulled out, but you know, kind of two three wins right. against the Jets. Flacco, Flacco almost got. Yes, them. <laughs> yes. That's why he got. That's why he earned his big time pay raise in Philadelphia. But yeah. yeah, I mean, in my opinion, they're still the clear cut third seed in their own division. I mean, the Bills are ahead of them by a wide margin, in my opinion, and the Dolphins. I think you know you could argue either way, but I still kind of have them ahead of them as well. So, you know, it, it's going to be interesting. Um, uh, to the same point. Bill Belichick can't really tank. I think he's tank-proof. I think he's too good to not win six, seven games. Um, and I'm not suggesting they should have tanked, but more just be a little bit more patient, pick your spots, um, roll over a ton of cap for next year because they would have, you know, obviously they had a lot, and then go crazy. Maybe if you draft a quarterback this year by trading up, um, you know, or maybe Mac Jones falls to 15 if they like him, or take a guy next year. Um but to splurge this offseason, I just think it, it doesn't make a ton of sense. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was an interesting, interesting year. And again, like if everything works out, then 
maybe you have a pretty strong team and a, and a pretty strong team next year since these are multi-year deals and you have those kind of the team options on these. But you kind of need everything to hit. So it, that's obviously a, a low probability type of situation. Um, okay, one of the more other interesting teams, and there are a couple teams I want to point out. So one, uh, the Colts, who I have kind of near the bottom of the improvement index, mainly because the transition at quarterback from Rivers to um, to Wentz, I have as being a negative. Sorry, uh, sorry, Carson Wentz fans and uh, <laughs> Colts fans who gave up that, but at least for the one year. I mean, he's a lot younger, obviously. He has some upside. This is more of a median projection type of deal. But they didn't really spend that much money, and I think even the Jets had a couple of big signings, but they didn't spend a ton of money either. So what do you think about these teams that we're expecting a bigger splash from? Uh, maybe you could even say the Jaguars too, although they kind of were peppering with a, little, with a bunch of smaller deals here. So the teams that had a little bit more space, people expected them to, to push in. Were you surprised you didn't see more from them this offseason? So with the Colts, no. Um, you know, Chris Ballard's MO is, is not to spend on guys outside of the building. And I think, you know, they, they like to maintain a, a, a solid cash-to-cap ratio. By that I mean – you know, if they want to extend a guy and it's going to be four years, you know, 60 million, they want as close to 15 million in, the, in those first two years, you know, whereas other teams will have, you know, 5 million and then 20, you know, 20 million plus in the last three. So, so that hurts in this environment in particular, where people are structuring these deals to, to lessen the, the early hit. Right, exactly, exactly. And so I think that we could see extensions for, look, they have three guys that I think are, are in the market for early extensions. Um, obviously Quentin Nelson, obviously Darius Leonard, and then Braden Smith at right tackle, also a very good player. Maybe not the same name recognition as those first two, but a really good player. So I think if they do go ahead and early extend those guys, they've finished three years of their rookie contract now. Um, going into the fourth year, a lot of times the teams will keep that fourth year cap hit pretty much the same as it would have been um, if there wasn't an extension. They kind of try to keep it down and let the money hit later. Um, you know, I could see the Colts approach being, look, we had this huge cap, you know, surplus coming into this offseason. We haven't spent much of it at all. Obviously, they took on, you know, 20, 25 million for Carson Wentz. But I can see them kind of front load those deals, still have a lot of cap space, but then also have the ability to maybe if they do look really good with Carson Wentz, let's say he has a good season, he bounces back. Then you can go out and kind of make some splashes in 2022. You already have your guys in-house under new contracts. Um, and their deals aren't going to spike, you know, in, in the later years. So not one I wasn't surprised. That's just kind of what Ballard does. I know, I know Colts fans are, you know, not stoked about it. I know it's boring, and, and everyone thought maybe they would finally change that philosophy, but I wasn't yeah, but surprised. Real, real yeah. quick on the on the Colts. Yeah, I think it's one of those things where every offseason I look at what Ballard does, and whether – I mean, mostly in free agency, but also in the, dra- in the draft, he's been pretty good about trading back. I mean, the one move was probably – was probably the fact that he said, you know what, um, we're gonna we're gonna trade we're gonna trade away our first round pick, and then we're going to pay uh, a ton of money to um, uh, what's his name? DeForest I, I Buckner. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah De- DeForest Buckner. So we're gonna pay a ton of money to DeForest Buckner. So that was kind of like an unballard like move. But I think like each offseason, I say, you know what, this is this is the right way to do things. But but then, in, you know, I'm saying like every offseason after a while, it's kind of like, OK, when is the the jump? Like when 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 are they going to go all in? You know, they 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 got to a certain point with 
With Andrew Luck, they figured he was coming back. Then he didn't end up coming back. Then you take a step backwards. Now you have Wentz there. Now maybe you're going to top out at a certain point again, and people are going to say, hey, if Ballard would have spent a little bit more money on these positions, we could have gone you know, uh, sequentially a little bit further in the playoffs if they end up making the playoffs, things like that. I mean, hopefully he really has the confidence of ownership because I could see the fans starting to turn if – well, I, I, it's just tough to say. Like, like the fans definitely can't are not going to be happy with this for you know for, for this being like I said, this is probably three straight off seasons we've been saying the same things. That's certainly fair, and I do th- say I'll critique him. Like he should have been in the mix for these wide receivers. Um, yeah. You know, for, for Juju Smith-Schuster and Will Fuller, like I mentioned, to get you know one-year flyers for eight to ten million. You know, I, I don't see how Indianapolis is not in that market, and, and they should be. Uh, Carson Wentz needs weapons. He obviously. You know, a big issue in Philly was he had no receivers to speak of whatsoever. Um, they could use receivers. They could also still use tight ends. You know, Jack Doyle's fine. Mo Alley Cox, they just extended the, the former basketball player, everyone's favorite, you know, footnote for tight ends. Yeah. But but they could still use more weapons, and I think they should have been in the market there. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, fans are getting – I get you get restless and all those things. Um, it, it's kind of just betting on Wentz, right? If he, if he plays like they think he can – um, then I think, you know, it's, it's kind of hindsight analysis, but then people will be like, oh yeah, he had a master plan all along. You know, he kind of knew what he was doing there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I say with the wide receiver, I mean, they had this thing where even though he wasn't the most productive player, I think Torrey Smith brought an element to that offense, stretching it downfield. Then they brought in Mike Wallace, who never panned out, was injured the whole time. Then they brought in Deshaun Jackson, who in limited time looked good in that type of role. But again, it was injured all the time. And then last season, they said, you know, we're going to bring in like six different receivers who could potentially do this. None of them really worked out, whether it was Jalen Rager at the first round pick, and they brought in Quez Watkins, and then they brought in uh, Marquise Goodwin, who opted out, and they still had Deshaun Jackson. So like that type of role, I mean, maybe they're going to get T.Y. Hilton to come back, I guess, but you know, that's not... That's not like much a very a very sure thing. Again, they don't really have that field stretching type of guy to to go on. Um, I think that could be an interesting subplot subplot going going forward. Um, may, maybe to go to the Jaguars here. What, what did you think about what they were doing? I mean, I think I like a lot of these different signings, but again, I'm not sure like how much patience is appropriate in this sort of circumstance for them. Yeah, you know, I think a couple of the moves were kind of like the Patriots we discussed, like a little bit early and a little bit of overspends. But like you said, they went quantity over quality um, for the most part. Um, So it was kind of like they recognized this roster is not good and really just addressed as many positions as possible. Um, But like the Rayshon Jenkins deal at safety sticks out to me, Um, you know, four years, $35 million. And it's not that I think he's like a bad player. He had a, a grade in the high 60s last year. He's played a lot of snaps in Los Angeles. Um, obviously a secondary that's been, you know, lauded around the league for a while now, but, but the safety market was barren. I mean, John Johnson is a far superior player to Rayshon Jenkins um, and barely got more money than he did. Different players. Jenkins plays a bit more down in the box. Um, he can't play deep, but, you know, kind of comes near the line of scrimmage more, but that's just an overpay. There's just, there, there was no one else competing at that level for that deal. Um, and so, you know, I think that kind of sticks out, but I, I love the Marvin Jones signing. Um, two years, about $12.5 million in base value um, is a great deal for Marvin Jones. They now have a pretty good receiving core. Um, you know, he, he's a good veteran addition to a very young group. You know, took LaVisca Chenault in the second round last year. Uh, I'm, I'm not black. Uh, uh, and DJ Chark, you know, an ascending good young player. But I think that veteran option um, will be solid there. But I don't know. At the same time, it was a bit underwhelming. Like, I, I don't know why they weren't in the John Johnson, you know, sweepstakes. 
Um, you know, I, I don't know why they didn't kind of get more aggressive, maybe with the offensive line, you know, bringing in like a Trent Williams and not franchise tagging Cam Robinson, which puzzled. I mean, everyone across the league didn't understand why they franchise tagged uh, their left tackle and Cam Robinson. Um, so I don't know. It didn't, it didn't hamstring them. It didn't hurt them down the road because they didn't, you know, make huge splashes. But when you make that many kind of mid-tier signings, it, it can add up. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, at the same time, I think they were kind of trying to just like fill in holes on the roster. So not find high-end starters, but you know, if a guy gets hurt next year, they don't have, they're not starting some undrafted free agent or, or, or some guy off the street. Um, and, and that could be smart. You know, Urban Meyer's building is like a college program. He's obviously used to having a massive talent disparity in college at Florida and Ohio state. But I think to him, the viewpoint is like foundationally, this was just wasn't a good football team. Um, we'll take our swings in the draft. We have obviously the first overall pick will be Trevor Lawrence, but also another first rounder, um, you know, from the Rams and the Jalen Ramsey trade. So that's where we'll kind of shoot for upside and take big swings. And in free agency, we'll spend more on just filling out the roster, which in general is, is approach an approach I agree with. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting when you have these, some of these signings where they're a little bit out of whack from where you see the rest of the market, because I don't know, I feel like from the outside, we may look at it and say, well, there's a couple different problems from how you judge it from the outside. One, often you're saying, well, instead of player X, you could have player Y. When player Y signed like four days after player X and, you know, if you were in the, the, the market bidding for them, they probably wouldn't have signed for the paltry amount that they did end up signing for because maybe it was like a musical chairs type of situation where they were left left out at the end. Um but I think there's maybe also a dynamic where we on the outside can look at these players as fungible and kind of equivalent. And I mean, if you're a team and you're like, well, I could have safety X or safety Y and I don't care which one it is. Um, I mean, these guys are like, they have, they have like scouts, right? Who <laughs> are probably not just saying, you know what? Just grab the cheapest guy. Like I I mean, maybe you could cut down on scouting expenses if you did that, but they probably really have like their favorite guys that they're going to go for in these circumstances that we may not appreciate the the particular scheme fits and things like that. Very true. That's very true. I guess they did the one biggest splash I do like was Shaq Griffin at cornerback. Yeah. Um, you know, three years, 40 million, which is near the top for, for this offseason at corner. Um, William Jackson came in, you know, just ahead of that. Uh, Adoree Jackson just signed for a similar deal of the Giants. But that was a good signing. Him and CJ Henderson now at, at wide corner should be a great duo. Um, so, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. I just think like some of those early deals. Um, Jamal Agnew for three years, 21 million. That might be the up to amount, but even still, he's like a special teamer in Detroit. I don't know why he needed that much money. Um, stuff like that. But you're right. You're right. It's also, we definitely do this thing where it's, it, we think, oh, well, they could have had this guy. For all you know, that guy had no interest in living in Jacksonville, Florida, and, and they had one choice, you know, and Shaq Griffin, for example, went to UCF, is from Central Florida. So, right. you know, he was interested in going there. So those components come in that we, you know, we can't know. Uh, for sure. Finally, the 2021 NFL Draft Guide is out with 150 player profiles, everything you need to be on top of things well before we get to April when your team is on the clock. You can get it with an Edge or Elite subscription. Use promo code SUPERBOWL25 and get 25% off those subscriptions. And that promo code is active through Monday after the Super Bowl. That's 25% off an annual Edge or Elite subscription, which includes the 2021 NFL Draft Guide with promo code SUPERBOWL25. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions, like when should I start thinking about life insurance? 
but however difficult these questions may be, Western and Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser, products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Now, let, let's talk about the, the team running back that we that I mentioned earlier. So I got the, the two that probably fall into that category more than any other teams that I can think of are the Bills and the Buccaneers. So they haven't, you know, the Bills have gotten almost everyone to come back other than, like I said, they ended up releasing John Brown and then filling that in with Emmanuel Sanders. It's kind of weird, like paying more for Emmanuel Sanders. But I guess, you know, sometimes it's like you can't just get a guy to take a take a pay cut. And sometimes he just you have to, you know, you have to send him out to the market and then he ends up getting less less somewhere else. And then uh, the Bucks have gotten almost everybody back. I mean, they don't have playoff landing yet. So we'll 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 wait. We'll wait on that one. But what I see with these with these teams, and I think it was to a degree we saw this with the Chiefs before, where okay, so they're successful teams. They have playoff aspirations. Uh, they ha- they have a good dynamic on the team. I mean, players probably like being there. They were a winner the year before. They're seen as being a Super Bowl competitive team. So because of that, you are getting not not the the high watermark contract. Like you're getting you're you're getting. I know discount may not be too strong of a word for someone, but you're getting pretty decent contracts, at least vis-a-vis what you think these guys are going to get in the market. But at the same time, you're not really letting anyone go, and you are doing a little bit of financial chicanery on some of this stuff to fit them in. Um, but what you end up finding out is, from the public perspective, this is almost universally praised, right? Like, think about how Brett Veach was seen last year. It was like Veach the god because he brought everyone back. Um, the same thing for Brandon Bean this year. And uh, Jason Light, I don't know. Um, I, I, he's he's one of these guys where a few years ago I never would have suspected him to be on on God tier, but now now some people have him on there. Um, I like to be contrarian. I like to be I like to be a hater too. So so like, how can we hate on these these things? Because I think there is an element of like, for me, if you're not letting anyone go. Somehow I think of that as being a little bit of a negative in a way. Am I wrong to think of that in, in some sort of way? Because I feel like those are the those are the real hardest choices. Yeah, you know, I think this obviously is you can't just expect variance on an individual level across the board. But like, you know, if you're bringing back an entire defense and we obviously discuss a lot how, you know, defense is, is you know, sways year to year and is, is not consistent. Um, I mean, you also all these guys obviously stayed healthy and, and played at a high level. Um, you know, I think with Barrett, for example, like his playoff run was exceptional. Um, he really didn't have the greatest regular season. Like I think let's say they kind of fizzle out. Let's say the Saints. You know, Jared Cook doesn't fumble that that ball, and, and the Saints going to win that game. Like, are are the Bucks offering the by by Barrett's account on Chris Collins with podcasts? Like, are they offering the best uh, you know contract he saw on the market? Um, so yeah, no discount there. He he said the best deal he got offered was was from the Bucks. So yeah, there's a little bit of that cooked in, and you're kind of buying the vibes and buying the. You know, was there the, some the illegal tampering going on there? Was there some illegal 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 tampering going on? It's, there? A, it's an illegal tampering podcast. So you know, this, at this <laughs> point, right. I think it's just you know, I think it's just a watch. Um, the league has accepted it, I suppose. The Raiders still have all their picks, uh, even though Gruden was trying to recruit Sherm to the the Raiders on the podcast. So yeah, I think, yeah. I think it's they've they've kind of carved it out as an, an exemption. But uh, no, but yeah, so I think that's kind of part of it too. Like, and Dominican Sue is obviously still a really good player, but you just locked him up for one year, nine million dollars. Um, a slight raise over last year. You know, he had one of his lowest graded seasons in a, in a long time for us, which is still a very high floor, but I already have Vita Vea. 
Um, you know, keeping Vernon Golston on, or excuse me, Will Golston on at interior defensive line, brought back um, Nunez Roches. Like, they're, they're honestly also just spending a ton, like, even at positions where they're kind of strong. Um, I think the one way you could knock it is to say, look, like, Chris Godwin still gets extended after the, this franchise tag, most likely. Um, Carlton Davis could get, you know, a huge contract at cornerback. Like, I'm not saying they can't afford it, um, but, you know, they, they made those things tougher. They made it more of a challenge to fit all that underneath, you know, underneath the cap and also just from a cash perspective. So I get why they did it. Um, the, the Bucks in particular, you know, they, they've gone this, this for years now, not pushing money down the line. They've now obviously gone crazy with these void years and, and, and these super low cap hits um, for Levante David, for Tom Brady, even for, you know, Donovan Smith got an extension today um, where they dropped his cap hit, you know, super low. I think, yeah, the risk is that it looks great now. Everyone's happy now. But, you know, what if they have a bad 2021 and then you have all this money pushed out into the future for 2023 um, and you've got to get a new quarterback potentially. You have to kind of, like I said, extend these young guys. It kind of hamstrings the future potentially. But, you know, if they run it back, then, it, you know, who cares? Um, the Bills, I think, were, were, were a little bit better. Like, I think they got discount deals. Like, Matt Milano, once Levante David re-signed in Tampa – He's 31, but he was the best off-ball linebacker on the market. Once he re-signed, Matt Milano became the best available off-ball linebacker, um, in our opinion at PFF, you know, in our rankings. And they got him to stay before hitting the market. I think Daryl Williams, once Taylor Moton got the, the franchise tag from Carolina, would have been the best right tackle to hit the market. They got him for a huge discount, um, three years, $8 million per year. So, you know, they, they kind of ran it back, but, but, but they didn't spend huge at, you know, edge rusher and, and – tagging a wide receiver and all these things they, they kind of just got good deals for for you know cheaper positions yeah i mean okay so the, the, another way i can think about it is these teams by their very nature um have done what they've done well right so so their players should be highly valued and so you're not getting like a bargain ba- it's impossible to get like a bargain basement deal on one of these players because it's coming off of a good season or else you wouldn't have been good last year so you're so you're really locked into these deals where yeah you may be squeezing like a little bit of juice over this perception that the player is going to stay at this level which was almost which is part of a championship unit so you're getting a little bit of discount off of that price but you're never getting a huge discount off of it so i guess that's number 1 that you're you've taken yourself out of the market for um, more so you're taking yourself more out of the market for getting these players who are willing to come from someplace else, like the Patriots would get these guys to come from someplace else. Someone who's been cut someplace else and you, you take them on the super cheap to come and play for you and put them into your system. And they now are bought in more when they were kind of loafing it wherever they were before. And that value just really bumps up. Right. So, so you've taken yourself out of that market to a certain degree. And, you know, you're taking yourself out of the comp pit market for some of these guys, too. Again, if you go and you sign someone who's been cut somewhere else to fill that spot, then, boom, you're, you're getting your comp pick. And, again, that becomes the seeds for future, for future generations of, of everything else. I know sometimes it's tough for these, for these GMs to think about that versus am I going to win a championship next year or not. But those are the two things that come into my mind with those teams where I feel like it's just not – like it's always like the guys who always get the most praise are the guys who re-sign – they're, they're players no matter what, or the people who swing big trades by spending, you know, sp- uh, 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 trading a bunch of draft 
assets away for for something else. Where I feel like in some ways those are easier things to do than letting a player walk, bringing in a player who's perceived to be not as good, having everyone say that's a dumb move, but then potentially getting more upside out of something like that. So that's my that's my hater take on on the uh, on, on team team run it back. Um, can we talk about team? Just bring in everyone, uh, the the Houston Texans, and what's what the, what, the hell, what the heck's going on over there? I don't know if I've seen. Have you seen anything like this before? Where you bring in thirty different players, and then um, I guess they're just gonna have a Royal Rumble to see who ends up actually being on the field this year. Yeah. So someone actually asked. They were like, at this point, they have to be shooting for a record in terms of like new signings in an off season. And so I went back and looked for the past couple of years and. Getting past 30, like, doesn't happen. Like, like the leader yeah. in the NFL is usually, like, 22, 25 range. Um, I want to say there are, like, 34 signings now. They've also traded for Marcus Cannon from the Patriots, traded for Shaq Lawson from right. the Dolphins. Um, like, like <laughs> it's crazy. Um, you know, I think for them, they're trying to – they did it They did it both on the on the non-football side, just kind of, like, getting anyone out of the building that they didn't, they didn't bring in that doesn't kind of – you know, isn't loyal to them and isn't – grateful to them for bringing them along in the first place. Um, they're now doing that on the football, on the roster as well. But I also think they're just trying to kind of just restart the entire culture of the team. Um, a lot of the guys like Christian Kirksey and Mark Ingram for years have been considered guys that like are locker room galvanizers or, or, or great leaders, but also just guys that people love to be around love to play with. And so I think they're kind of their gamble at this point is let's bring in a literally 30 minimum signing guys, but, they're going to help us just turn the entire thing over, just kind of flush the old thing out, out the door and just kind of turn the whole thing over. But no, I, I've never seen anything like it. Like you said, I mean, half these guys are probably battling for a roster spot. Um, you know, there's a lot of special teams players. Um, you know, maybe it's Nick Casario, the new GM from, from the Patriots. He wants to focus on sp- special teams first and, and build out from there. Um, but no, it's, 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 it's completely unprecedented to have this many um, like near minimum deals um, and just loading up on, on special teams units and stuff like that. It's, it's, it's strange to see. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously you have in the background now, uh, quick developing story here on Deshaun Watson and way, what may end up having there. I mean, I don't think that was an impetus for any of, any of what they had seen there. I mean, we really don't know if he was on his way out or not, which now looks, pretty unlikely I guess you never know with how these things are how these things shake out but that looks unlikely so if there was a mess and this was seen as being an undesirable place to be I don't know if this really adds to the desirability uh for a superstar player also because it's like you like to see some other big names come in that's what gets people excited is to see that sort of upside so uh, it'll be interesting how, how, how the texts work out what's funny is when I'm doing this like improvement index on there um, there's a little bit of a quirk to it where like if you add a player and then it recalculates the snaps and the efficiency and everything else, if the player's not good and he's being added, he's taking snaps away from players who are better. So it's like this, it's like a, it's like subtraction by addition in a way. So when I was processing all these Texas trades, their team just keeps looking worse every single time they do one of these deals because the the players that are coming in are so bad that they're like actually, unless you're just not going to play them at all. It's like this weird thing where you, but but I I think there's also a problem because you're trying to like split up all these snaps amongst all the players. So it didn't work that well. So they've broken, they broke my improvement index basically by, by, by breaking in all these players that are driving them further and further down. Um, 
Let's talk about just individual player deals. Was there any one particular deal that stood out to you, either in structure, in amount, in creativity, and anything else that's going on that really was was particularly good this offseason? Yeah, you know, I think PFF's done a, a great job lauding the John Johnson deal, so I'll, I'll pivot to another one I had mentioned already. But for me, like, the Will Fuller contract is just a slam dunk win for both parties there. I understand, obviously, he still has a one-game suspension for, for 2021, um, coming off the six-game suspension he got for PEDs in 2020, but it's a perfect fit um, from a football perspective. You know, Devontae Parker is a big contested catch, you know, jump ball guy, um, and Fuller's going to be a great just kind of speed element. Um, he also, we talked a lot about Tua Tagovailoa, likes to attack over the middle of the field, so not only just running go routes on the, on the outside, but also a lot of crossers and just a lot of things that just get him the ball in space and he can kind of take off. Um but yeah, so to get a one-year flyer for him at ten, it'll it'll end up being ten million. It's ten point six, but it's, if you cook in the suspension for one game, it's it's ten million flat. Um, it's just, it just it just it, it's a smart move because the thing about it, as we talked about as well, is that okay, if he's great for you and if he plays a full season, both healthy and not juiced up, then you, you maybe you you extend him and keep him on board. He's still a very good, pretty young player. If not. You could get a third or fourth round compensatory pick for him the following year um, when, he, when he leaves in free agency, if he has a good season and someone else signs him to that big extension he's looking for. So those are just the really smart gamble kind of upside moves, both from a football perspective and from just a value perspective that I love. Um, I, I think it's a football fit. I think it's a contractual fit. I, I just thought it was a great move all around. What I mean, what do you think about these one-year deals? Because I'm a little bit ambivalent about them. I mean, I see them. It's like you can get a deal on some of these guys under prove-it contracts, so I get that. I also think that, but I may be thinking about this incorrectly, that it has this like asymmetrical type of situation to it where if the player like doesn't play well, then you're probably not going to bring them back, and they could like rebound somewhere else. If they do play well and your team does well, you feel obligated to bring them back. So it's almost like... Your only your only chance for beyond this one year is to pay them a lot of money. Certainly fair. So there is a risk component, no question, in that. Right, if they do play really well, they're going to be looking for a lot of new money, um, and you've kind of you know foregone your leverage. I mean, I suppose where that comes in is that's where the franchise tag comes in. Yeah. Um, you know, to my knowledge, there's no no tag clause for Fuller or a guy like Juju. Not that they would probably use one on Juju, but. Um, yeah, no, certainly fair. Um, that's kind of that's why the players are obviously willing to do it because they have the upside for themselves as well. Um, you know, in that they can also get back to the market quickly. Um, but yeah, I think that's where you kind of you have to then explore franchise tag potentially. Okay, and what about on the you know we we don't like to uh, besmirch any anyone out there, but let's go ahead and do it. Uh, so, who, who, what contract was your biggest head scratcher this this year? Yeah, so I'm not trying to be mean, and, and I hope I'm proven wrong and he kills it, but I just, I mentioned it as well before earlier, but Rayshon Jenkins, the safety with the Jaguars, it's more just that it's a suppressed safety market. I mean, again, he's different than, than a lot of these free safeties that were available, but you know, Anthony Harris signs for one year, $5 million in Philadelphia. John Johnson, as we all love, three years, 33.75, so 11.25 a year. It does have very strong guarantees, about $24 million in total guarantees, but how Rayshon Jenkins got four years, 35 million, so almost nine million a year um, from Jacksonville. I just don't know who was competing in that market. Um, there were so many guys available. Even if you do want to look at kind of more box safeties, uh, I mean, Keanu Neal signed for one year, five million, and moving him to linebacker in Dallas. But like, 
There were some other options available there as well. If you did, you know, if you were looking more in kind of the, you know, the box safety market. Um, but again, though, even if you, even if your plan is to use him as a box safety, then he's not worth the four year 35 million from a positional value standpoint anyways. So I just, I just, I don't see why they had to pay that much to get him. Um, and then again, I mentioned the Nelson Aguilar deal. I think there's probably more upside than maybe people want to admit in that we're now talking about him as a deep threat um, because that's how he was used in Oakland last year or Las Vegas. I, I keep doing that. But, um, yeah. but, but before that in Philly, he was a slot receiver. He was a possession guy. He had, you know, he ran some deep, some deep, deep routes, but you know, was used underneath more. So he is versatile and can kind of offer, you know, positional versatility, but it's again, just like you, you see the rest of these deals come through and, you just question why they felt the need to go that high. You know, I, I've I thought that the Trent Williams deal I thought was a bit out there, um, but I didn't have I didn't have enough courage to really like stick behind that take because his clips get shared a lot on social media and everyone loves them and everyone it's been kind of like a decent praise and then. I, I listened to the uh, the Over the Cap podcast. If anyone isn't listening to that with Jason Fitzgerald, they should. Obviously, Brad used to do some work at Over the Cap. And he came in hard on the, uh, <laughs> the Jordan Williams contract. So I was pretty happy to hear that because I was like, that makes me feel better when I hear Jason really uh, you know, lay the wood to, to, to this deal. And I'm just not a big John Lynch, San Francisco fan generally for, for how they've done things. I think they've structured things well, and I think maybe that speaks to what uh, Parag Marte has done there, but then I don't know about the the decisions on some of these guys where it seems like it's like we have to have player X. And I guess when it comes to Trent Williams, it's just not only is he older, um, but the, the, the age situation is being, since we've had Andrew Whitworth play well when he's been older, we've had Trent Brown be pretty decent when he's older, we've had um, Jason Peters been been good. Now I think everyone says, "Oh, you know what? Tackles they don't they don't fall off until they hit forty, so so it doesn't matter." Yeah, I think I probably bought into that a little bit as well. Uh, I mean, even Joe, <laughs> even Joe Staley in San Francisco. Yeah, uh, Joe but, Staley. Yeah, it's another one. Right, yeah, right. I, I think the, there's a, a, a component there is that he did take the year off in 2019, so he's maybe you're hoping he's fresh and healthy and was able to you know kind of recuperate. Um, and look, he's he's been wanting to be the highest paid tackle in football for a very long time. I'm sure Jason got into all these details, but. When you look at the actual guarantees, um, it, it's really a three-year deal for about sixty million, and then kind of a, you know the, the last three years are a bit of an option. Um, you know, it's forty-five million in total guarantee. Like I think you could even, if you really wanted to get out after two, you could. You'd have a decent chunk, you know, about eighteen million in dead money, but um, which is large. But um, but you know, after three years, twelve million, which is not bad. Um, that's all from the signing bonus. So no, I understand the, the argument for sure. I would say the thing there is, we do know there was a market. We know the Chiefs. We're very close. Um, you know, the Bears apparently were kind of sniffing around there as well for, for whatever reason. Um, so, no, I hear that. I guess also, I, I can't believe I didn't mention this one too, but our, our fr- friend of the show, Kenyon Drake, getting a two-year, like, $12 oh, yeah. million Kenyon deal. Drake. Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the Raiders offseason has been just just a, a roller coaster ride. But how you see, like, the contracts come in. I mean, Aaron Jones's deal was a two-year, $20 million contract. So how Kenyon Drake gets, you know, from a different club, coming off a bad season where Chase Edmonds basically took his job the last six weeks. How do yeah. you think you should give him two years, 12 million? I, I, I haven't, I don't have the faintest clue. 
Yeah, yeah. That was another one with the old improvement index where it was like, okay, Kenyon Drake, Raiders, boop, uh, nothing, zero. Well, not negative, at least. So it did not come in as being negative. Um, I mean, if running backs don't matter, it can't be negative also. So that's, that's, maybe that's, that's the upside here, uh, is that you don't have to worry about that. But yeah, again, he's going to redefine though. He's going to do something. I don't know what they're going to be doing with him. He's going to be out of the slot or doing something else. Um, it's always great when you can just put a worse slot receiver, rather than getting a slot receiver, just put a worse receiver as a running back into the slot. That seems to be the the brilliant ideas <laughs> that are being floated around in Las Vegas. Right, but they also they took Lynn Bowden Jr. in the third round last year, and you know he was a quarterback in college with very versatile guy, running back skills. You know they were the plan was apparently to put him in the slot. They traded him before the season even began for yeah. I want to say like a, maybe they got a fourth or a fifth back, so close to what they used to take him, but still in a matter of months you lose a you know a third round pick for not much value in return. It's just like it's just so random what's what's going on there. And then I guess one more since we're being mean, I'll, I'll lean into it. I'll be a hater along with you. Um, yes. I don't understand yeah. how Pat Elfline got three years, thirteen point five million um, from the Panthers at all. I mean, the the, the Vikings had our thirty second ranked um, their guard position overall. So all of their guards last year ranked thirty second by a wide margin. It was like a thirty two point seven grade um, in pass protection, also dead last. I think in run blocking they were like thirtieth, but he get he still got cut by them midseason with the worst guard situation in the NFL. I don't I don't understand how he then gets like a decent deal at guard. I mean, look like Kevin Zeitler got three years, twenty two and a half, and he's a very good guard. And you give Pat Alfline three years, thirteen point five. It just doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Panthers were another team that last off season had like the tank just staring them in the face saying, please, please do this. Right. And they were just, they said, no, you know, we're going to bring in Teddy Bridgewater for $20 million. And we're going to, I mean, I, I didn't really hate the necessarily the other signings of Robbie Anderson and some other guys, but um, again, like you don't, you don't like to see like a, a, a team that's someone in a rebuild with a, with a new head coach, there's being whiffs of like desperation to go and get players and to bring it in. It doesn't really seem like the appropriate timing. So that's been my, that's been my beef with the Panthers. And now supposedly they want to move up to get a quarterback. So who knows? They may mortgage the whole future uh, to go and, and do something like, do something like that. Um, what about positionally? Did you see any particular trends here? I may got, I, like we mentioned the safety position a lot, the wide receiver position. Um, there's some interesting things going on there. Was there anything, was there one thing that really was off market wise from where you thought it was going to be? No, I think we covered those two. Um, you know, I, I think safeties again. I, you know, I had them projected higher. I, I thought that. Yeah. You know, we don't we don't love Buda Baker in terms of PFF grading. Um, he's not one of our best safeties, and so that market is really suppressed. You know, he was the highest paid safety in the NFL at fourteen point seven five million per year, which you know that that being the highest paid is way below corner now at twenty million with Jalen Ramsey, even at line off ball linebacker Bobby Wagner eighteen million. Like, I thought. All of these really good free safeties would maybe kind of boost that market a bit. Obviously, Marcus Williams in New Orleans and Marcus May in New York with the Jets got tagged, so that kind of works against it. And Justin Simmons as well in Denver. He did just become the highest-paid safety in the NFL uh, at $15.25 million per year. Um, but that was a little bit surprising. And then also I think it's not surprising, but it, it, it is to PFF, but it shouldn't be. Um, just teams still paying for sacks. I, I mean, I just can't – like. Okay, the Rams had Dante Fowler last year in 2019. He had 11 and a half sacks, I want to say, you know, per NFL charting. 
He played opposite Aaron Donald. He got signed for three years, $45 million by the by the Falcons. And they've since already approached him about a pay cut, a pretty large pay cut, which he took because he was so bad last year for Atlanta. Leonard Floyd is a much better run defender. Kind of Fowler, all he does is rush the passer. He doesn't really offer much else. Floyd is a good run defender, but he is not a good pass rusher. He got 12 and a half sacks last year, but his, his pressure percentage was like 9.3%. It was actually lower than his uh, pressure percentage the year prior in Chicago uh, when he had like three sacks. So there was no indication those sacks were because of him kind of getting much better at rushing the passer. It was just because he was playing opposite of, you know, Aaron Donald, the best defensive lineman maybe of all time. So I was kind of surprised they made that mistake and kind of fell for the same thing they didn't fall for the year before. Um, and then Trey Hendrickson in Cincinnati, um, kind of the same thing. I mean, he, he, he he's a good player, but... 15 million per year for him. He's basically had one season where he's really played a lot um, and had the, you know, 13 and a half sacks last year, but you know, Cam Jordan on the edge, they have a lot of good interior players. Um, you know, David Onyemata, really good interior defensive lineman. Um, you know, I mean, he wasn't even the third, edge, he wasn't even the second edge rusher on his team. Um, I'm not blanking on his name, but the, the, the uh, Marcus Davenport, the first rounder obviously also plays for, for New Orleans. So, you know, obviously since he was kind of chasing their car, a loss and loss, um, gave him, you know, gave Anderson the exact same APY at 15 million. But I just can't believe teams are still kind of paying for sack production, um, you know, when, when they should know at this point that there's no guarantee that happens again. Yeah, yeah. And I think that um, with Floyd, it fell, fell a little bit into this dangerous one-year contract thing, right? Where they where they got him on the one-year deal, which I liked that deal last year. People were really down on Floyd last year. Everyone thought that uh, Quinn was going to be like this big upgrade uh, from Floyd. Uh, sorry, Bears fans, <laughs> that one. <laughs> the old man, old, old man, doesn't matter. Age doesn't matter anymore uh, for <laughs> for for Quinn, and that that didn't end up happening. And but then you're you're you know you're floating it forward now to to give to give Floyd all that money. The Rams were another team where they jumped off doing pretty well, giving up all this draft capital and then for Stafford, and then they've been slowly whittled down because they just do not have the means to resign all their old guys and the Browns coming in there and raiding their their secondary. Um, what the quick thing on safety is, let's talk about the implications for 20... What's, well, the implications for later this offseason, I guess, too, and, and uh, 2022. Like, Jamal Adams, let's say, here. Like, what kind of deal is Jamal Adams going to get? Because if we've seen these... If we, if we go by the trend of what happened with Laramie Tunsil and, let's say, Jalen Ramsey were the two most equivalent players as far as the draft capital that was needed to go and get these young players who had a year or two left on their on their rookie contracts plus the fifth-year option situation. Um, you're not going to discount on these guys. Your, your sunk cost is in there, and you're paying for them. I mean, are we going to see Jamal Adams get a $20-plus million contract despite the fact that these other safeties are at 15 as the highest contract? So, yeah, I would say the Seahawks are probably happy to see this that the safety market didn't take off, really. The leverage is still massive. When you trade two first-round picks, I think it was two firsts and a third for him. Um, yeah. Like you said, Laramie Tunsil got $22 million per year, was way above the tackle market at the time he signed it. He's obviously been passed twice now. But, um, yeah, and Jalen Ramsey at $20 million for, for a corner was also way above market. Uh, Marlon Humphrey's kind of caught up there as well. But I, I think he's not going to get 20 in my opinion, because – you know, the safety market is still at 15, but I think you might get like 18 million per year um, with strong guarantees and all of that. I'm sure he's asking for more than that. Um, I mean, he was hurt for a lot of the year and, and in terms of coverage, he didn't offer much, but obviously he had nine and a half sacks. So yeah. I guess paying, paying for sack production, regardless of position, 
Um, yeah, he's going to say so, yeah, yeah, the I mean, Joey, Joey Bosa contract is his closest yeah, comp. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I don't see 20, but I think he will definitely become the highest paid safety by a wide margin. Um, but let's say hypothetically if like if Marcus Williams hit the market and if, and if Justin Simmons got more money and those got pushed maybe 16, 16 and a half, then maybe yeah. he would have gotten 20. But I think because the way it's kind of played out, um, they'll probably settle in around 18 million per year. Yeah, yeah. I see some acrimonious uh, franchise tags in, in in the future there in Seattle where not only you'll be sucking some of the oxygen from Russell Wilson complaining every offseason and then it'll have to be uh, Jamal Adams too. So that'll be fun for all the Seahawks fans out there. Um, okay, so the last thing, now that we're looking forward, free agency is in the, in, the, in the tank. We're going through to the draft. What may happen with some players being released to make cap space and then rolling forward into next year. Um, w- w- what are you seeing going forward? Is there any trends we should be looking out for on, on how teams are going to be managing these rosters in the cap for the next you know, 12 months? Yeah, definitely. I, I think we learned a lot from this offseason. So first, just kind of set the stage. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people that assume the cap is going to spike next year. Um, yeah. But the belief from you know Jason Fitzgerald over the cap, who's obviously one of the, the foremost experts uh, and, and others, is that the jump really is going to be 2023. So not to get lost in the numbers too much, but essentially, let's say COVID did not happen, did not affect the league. But this, this year's cap would have been about $210 million based on prior year growth. Dan Graziano at ESPN tweeted out that he essentially heard from the league the cap would have been $155 million this year had they not agreed to have a, have a floor and kind of fix it. So, okay, so from that 155 versus 210, there's $55 million in difference there that the owners essentially agreed to kind of eat that cost and, and kind of buy some of that, bring some money from the future and fix it. So the cap is $182.5 million for this year. So essentially exactly half of that 55, the owners agreed to kind of just eat for this year meaning there's still another $27.5 million left they have to kind of, you know, account for the following year. So Jason thinks the cap next year will be about $205 million range, um, which is still a large jump from 182 and a half. But obviously, you know, it was, it was 198 you know, in 2020, so right. not far off from that. So anyways, I know I just threw out 100 numbers, so apologies. But anyway, so what I think is going to happen as a result is teams are now more prepared. They now obviously know, you know, to, to kind of cook all these things in. But I think the, the biggest takeaway for me from this offseason was the total values are coming way down, and and in return, the, the concession from the teams is better guarantees. So, and for years, you know, people like myself have said players should prioritize this. They get caught up in the in the total value. They get caught up in the average per year, you know, which is which is the media's fault as much as it is as theirs because the way they comp- compare each other is by APY. We mentioned Trent Williams. His deal was twenty three point oh one million per year for a reason. The reason being David Bakhtiari with the Packers was at $23 million per year. So that's why that was the target. But that doesn't matter. The, the, the per year average is irrelevant if the last three years of the deal have $30 million base salaries that you're not actually going to play under. So Corey Davis is the best example from this offseason, in my opinion. He signed a three-year, $37.5 million per year deal, $12.5 per year. But the $27 million fully guaranteed at signing is top 10 at the wide receiver position. Uh, maybe maybe now that Kenny Gallaudet got signed, they may have bumped it down to 11th. But regardless, a very high, fully guaranteed signing that's up there with deals for 15 to 20 million on a per year basis. But his APY is obviously much lower. So I think next offseason, th- same thing. Players will trade the upside of of maybe having a huge base salary in the fourth year that maybe they play under and maybe they get to that point. 
Um, and if they don't get it, the team at least has to negotiate off that number and stuff like that. Um, and it boosts their franchise tag number, things like that. Instead of that, they'll take more guarantees, stronger guarantees. John Johnson did the same thing at safety. Um, so that I think is going to be the trend that we'll see. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a good point about the timing because I think a lot of people have, or they're seeing these TV contracts coming in and they think that, you know, the owners are going to be like Scrooge McDuck next year or something like that. And it's just the money's going to be flowing all over the place. But the reality is like the cap doesn't move until the money is, is, is there till the revenues are there and the revenues for those new TV contracts are not going to kick in until 2023. So if teams want to, you know, spend that money, it's going to be in mind of how you structure these contracts going forward. And I think there's also this weird thing with these deals where people are signing these void years. Some of them are going to void after this this next season. So then you're going to have these cap charges coming in in 2022, but the cap's not going to take the huge jump in, in the, the, you know, the huge jump um, versus where it was in 2019 and 2022. So there could be another year of creativity to really push that stuff into 2023. And then that will be the time where if you have, you know, an extra 10 million, 15 million in dead money, you're not going to feel it as, as much, but some of these teams may be setting up for a little bit more paying next season, then you would think w- w- with the fact that everyone assumes the cap charge is going to be, and the cap is going to be rising exponentially. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it on the head. And then I guess also it's not as drastic as I think some folks think, but we have, we've talked a lot about the one-year deal. So you also, in theory, will have a bit more of a flooded market, um, which could kind of bring prices down if there's so many guys available. Um, it's actually less drastic than I expected. Like I said, coming into this, all everyone kind of told me, you know, around the league or in the league, we're like, it's going to be the, the big deals will be the same. And then a lot of one year deals for mid tier guys didn't really happen. So I actually don't think it's as big of an effect as, as potentially it could have been. Um, but there's definitely still some. Um, so, so that will probably, you know, be a factor as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it'll be interesting. Yeah. I think probably some of the downside predictions, even when it came to uh, player teams, like cutting veteran players didn't really happen to the degree that we all thought it was. So, um, you know, everyone's optimistic going going forward. I think the ownership and the the league looks pretty healthy vis a vis where it was in 2017 when some some there were some you know dark prognostications for what could potentially happen, and now they got this new crop of young, exciting quarterbacks and, and whatnot going forward. So yeah, I think things are things are looking up for the NFL, which is good for business and good for uh, us at PFF, right? So uh, anyway, Brad, thank you so much for joining me. Like I said, this is your your time to shine. So I'm glad we had you here. Follow Brad on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad, uh, all the articles that he's been putting out for us to go over everything free agency wise. And then again, contract related going forward. Everyone make sure to check that out and a subscription at PFF. Otherwise, uh, I think I'm going to be taking off next week. I'm off on vacation. So a little bit of a week off here and then coming back to hit April to hit the draft where, of course, we'll nail every single player in the draft uh, with their correct ranking going forward. So uh, uh, I'll, I'll take my time off, and then I'll be talking at you, everyone, in another couple of weeks. Thanks. Thanks.